Hi, friends. This is Lyle Smith here with the Story Forge Podcast Outbreak Edition. This is our first episode. Um, we began the idea as the Story Forge Podcast to collect uh, all the great stories we know are out there from our friends in business and uh, how they created their business, what inspired them to start their business, what are their struggles, their failures, their successes, um, all as an idea to inspire uh, all of us uh, to do well and succeed. Um, but we're living in a very intensely weird time right now with the coronavirus pandemic escalating around the world. And so we shifted gears and pivoted the idea a little bit to talk to not just business owners, but people we know in specific areas around the country and uh, maybe around the world to see what they're doing and how it's impacting them and their business and their careers and, and what they're doing to change and shift and, and get past it and, and be more positive about things. Uh, and today, um, is my first episode. I wanted this to be my first episode. I'm talking to uh, a good friend of mine, someone I have known quite literally since we were five years old. Uh, we went to kindergarten together. Um, Dr. Peggy DeLong. Uh, she was uh, Peggy Doherty when I knew her years ago. And uh, we haven't really been in touch other than through social media over the years, uh, recent years anyway. But she has a tremendously compelling story uh, that she has compiled in her book, I, I Can See Clearly Now. It's a memoir that she put out about a year and a half ago, I think. And um, it's, it's this tremendous story of, of tragedy and healing and, and getting beyond um, some really unimaginable events in her life. And, and she really is a tremendous human being. And, uh, and she's a psychologist, and she has a lot of um, perspective on um, the practice of gratitude and, and you know, the science of psychology and, and how we can all uh, hopefully um, survive and thrive in a time of, of, well, chaotic time, I guess you'd call it. So uh, this is the first episode. I, I hope you like it. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation with her. Um, so here we go. Uh, my conversation with Dr. Peggy DeLong. You call yourself the gratitude psychologist. I find that fascinating. Yes. Uh, yes. I love speaking about gratitude. It's funny because I like the way you talk about it. It's not as, um, you know, some, some, sometimes when people talk about, you know, gratitude as a practice or gratitude as, a, as something you do for yourself, it, it comes off as kind of, you know, foofy and kind of like, you know, I don't know, mystical or something, but you talk about it in a real uh, kind of practical way that means something to people. Yes. And, and being a psychologist, it's important for me that what I speak about be backed by research in psychology. And I love that all of the research demonstrates that when we practice gratitude on a regular basis, it has not just benefits in the moment, but it has long-term positive mental health benefits. So what does that, what does that look like though, when you practice gratitude, I'm, I'm, you know, um, from your perspective? It, it, 
Well, it can take so many different forms. And, and that is what I love helping people with because there's so much to do way beyond making a gratitude list or using a gratitude journal. Um, some people don't like writing and they, you can um, use, there's so many different things that you can do and they're so simple. Um, I have my, what I call my signature five daily tips in gratitude that take less than five minutes a day. And when we do any of these on a regular basis, it truly, uh, it does two things. First of all, it, it's affecting our brain chemistry. It boosts serotonin and dopamine in our brain. And those are two of the uh, like feel good neurotransmitters. And the other part is that when we do it on a regular basis, we are actually forming new neural pathways in our brains to help us be more positive thinkers. Wow. So I'll just run one through these five and stop me at any time. Um, <laughs> Uh, but the, the first is simply to say the words, thank you, before your feet hit the floor when you wake up in the morning. And you don't even need to be thankful about anything in particular, uh, because when we first wake up, we're groggy, it's hard to think <laughs> straight. Uh, so it's not, it's really not to meant, meant to be a cognitive exercise, but simply just to say the words, thank you, out loud before your feet hit the floor. And this is, uh, has often been attributed to uh, Wayne Dyer, known as the Wayne Dyer technique. I love mm -hmm. that. I'm a big follower of uh, Wayne Dyer. Anyway, the, the reason this is so powerful is that all of our lives, when we hear or say those words, thank you, we are, are, we are driven to think about the positive. We thank people for nice things, not for crummy things. So when we hear those words, we're automatically priming our brains to get ready for the positive to come our way during the day. The second, and, and that really just takes two seconds to say right. thank you out loud. Uh, the second is to set your intention at the beginning of every day in the morning to be more grateful. Simply uh, a statement such as to yourself, um, help me to see all the, the goodness around me. Help me um, just to be more aware of all of the wonderful things going on in my life. That can take one minute just to set your intention for the day. You could do it at the edge of your bed, uh, as you're putting on your clothes, in the shower when the water is hitting your head. And the reason that this is so effective is because of whatever, whenever we are setting our intention for something, and right now we're speaking about gratitude, but it can be anything. It could be to drink more water that day. It could be to stick to your meal plan, you know, whatever it might be whatever when you're setting your intention it helps to activate the part of our brain called the reticular activating system mm -hmm. otherwise known as the RAS so this is part yeah. of our brain that helps filter out all of the information that really isn't helpful for us or that we don't want to pay attention to because we simply cannot pay attention to everything that comes our way every day it's impossible so when you are when you set your intention it helps the RAS do its job mm -hmm. it helps you pay more attention to what you want to pay attention to and less attention or even better yet not even be in your level of awareness what you don't want to pay attention to Right. So that's that's a wonderful part. So it's really, I mean, you're you're really sort of physically changing the lens you use to see the world, right? To see yes. what's going on in the world. So you're seeing the more positive things that you're seeing, and you're you're able to sort of let the negative, uh, you know, slip by, or or it, the negative goes out of focus, and the positive stays in focus. 
Exactly. And when, and when you do it on a regular basis, it, it, you're not even um, making an effort to be less aware of the negative. You're just not aware of it. So right. I, I like using the analogy of uh, when you're in the market to buy a new car and let's say you're really focused on a particular model like let's say uh, you know a white jeep <laughs> um, right. so you may not have noticed previously all the white jeeps on the road but then <laughs> when it is in your level of awareness and you're in, in thinking about buying one all of a sudden you're going to notice all of the white jeeps on the road that's funny i have experienced this and it's it's that's that's true so that's that's <laughs> yes <laughs> And like, are there, are there really just more white cars on the road or is it just me? You know, I'm just noticing them more. I mean, I guess obviously you're, you're noticing them more, but it's, 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 it's funny. Yeah. So that's your RAS at work. But the great thing is that we can harness that power and use it to our advantage. And the easiest way, or one of the easiest ways is to simply set your intention at the beginning of every day. And Mm -hmm. like I said before, it can be for anything. It could, you know, whatever goal you're working on, um, you can set your intention at the beginning of the day. I was um, listening to something recently, and it's a, a guy who does a daily... Uh, business tip that I get in my email every day. And, and one of them was, um, he was talking about what, what is it that all successful people have in common? And he started talking about it. And he, was, he said, you know, it's funny because he, he said, this is him speaking, uh, I've, known, I've known smart, successful people and I, I have known not smart, successful people. I've known really creative, successful people and really successful people who were not creative. Uh, and, you know, uh, some who were really into numbers, some who were really into words some, and all these different things, but they're, they're all successful. So what do they have in common? And he said, the one thing they all have in common is a bias to action. Uh, meaning that rather than, you know, sitting and thinking, thinking through every possible um, uh, potential eventuality to everything, they, they get an idea that they think is a good one and they go and act on it. And yes. It sounds sort of similar to what you're talking about here. I mean, it's a different objective, I suppose, but it's a similar kind of an approach where you, um, you, you choose to see the world the way you want, yes yes as opposed to um just letting the world happen to you right and i love your use of the word choose um because one of our greatest human freedoms is our ability to choose our own thoughts and and our attitudes and mm-hmm. it takes time and practice uh, but the research shows that even people who have considered themselves to be lifelong negative thinkers have been able to switch their mindset by simply practicing gratitude. Interesting. That's really and, wild. And, yeah, and developing a new gratitude practice. And it doesn't need to be anything fancy. It can be um, any of these um, suggestions that I'm going through right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so the third... I love this one, is to express appreciation for one person every day. It can be somebody from your past. It can be somebody currently, um, someone who's had an impact on your life, a relationship that you treasure. Uh, Make a point every single day to express appreciation. The research shows that that it um, we get an instant um, boost in dopamine when we think about something nice, when we right. think about something, um, what a person that some, they've done something nice for us. And it also is a way to foster our human need to be social. 
Uh -huh. We are simply hardwired to need social interaction wow. and a human Peggy, connection. I'm, I'm sorry, Peggy. And when is we this, need somebody. Can you hear me okay? This yes, is, uh -huh. uh, I'm getting kind of an odd, it's, it's, it's like it's extending your, it's like, it's like breaking up on a cell phone kind of a sound. Oh. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. Hang on. Hmm. I can hear you clearly. Can you hear me clearly? Yes. Okay. Uh, all right. Well, let's just, well, let's press on. We'll see. We'll see what I can do here. Um, and maybe it's recording better than I'm hearing it in my earphones. <clears throat> so uh, we'll cut this part out. Okay. And, <laughs> and uh, uh, so where do we get? We got to three, the third one? Yes. Um, okay. So so the third is to express appreciation for mm -hmm. an, imp an important person every day. Right. Somebody in your current life, somebody from the past. Right. Uh, just to reach out by text, email, phone call, whatever works for you yeah. to thank that person for what they've done, how important your, the relationship is. And this serves two purposes. First, it helps us uh, get that boost of dopamine that, that, we, that makes us feel good in the moment. Mm -hmm. And it helps to feed our human need to be social because as human beings, we are simply hardwired to need social interaction and, and human connection. And right. this is one way to get it. Um, and the fourth is to use the fourth step uh, as you go about your day to use any unwanted feelings as a trigger to find something to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. And I like to avoid using the word negative because I truly believe that none of our feelings are negative. They're all valid and they're here for a reason. Um, so to use the unwanted or uncomfortable feelings as a trigger to find one thing to be grateful for, either in that situation um, or what a lesson might be in that situation. And this can be really hard when we're going through a very difficult time. But when you can use that energy to just find one simple thing that you can be grateful for, it will help shift your energy and help you feel better. Right. That's an interesting thing, too, because that, that sort of fits into, you know, say from, from an athletic perspective or a, or a workout perspective, uh, uh, you talk about you know, the whole purpose of work, working out and lifting weights or whatever is to put yourself through an uncomfortable situation so that you're stronger on the other side. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. And right. so this is like a mental version of that. Exactly. And, and it works similar to a muscle. The more that we practice it, the stronger it gets. So um, when I work with people in my gratitude, my, with my students in my gratitude course, mm -hmm. this is one of the things that people have commented that it has helped them the most, that using an unwanted feeling as a trigger to think about something to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. So what it, what it really helps that negative thinking from spiraling out of control because the, the, it just gains momentum. And the great thing is that we can shift that in a positive direction and have it gain positive momentum. It's really hard to just shut off. It's, it's hard to just shut off a thought or shut off a feeling. It's yeah. much easier to just send it in a positive direction. Yeah, because I mean, just saying, you know, 
stop thinking about that to yourself. Doesn't really yes. work. You know, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work. But we can channel it and think about something positive. Whether it's you know, it's better if it's related to the situation. But it doesn't even have to be. Um, but it's really hard to hold two competing thoughts in your brain at the same time. Right. And then the the goal is for the positive to win out and 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 really help you feel better. Right. Right. Um, uh, and then the the fifth step is to at the end of the day before your when your head hits the pillow and before you fall asleep mm -hmm. is to just think about two things that happened that day that you're grateful for and this uh, is helpful for a couple reasons first of all we tend to bring into our sleep what we last thought about um, read about talked about we, we bring that into our sleep. And that's why kids who are little, when, you know, if they've watched a, a scary movie before bed, they're more prone to have a nightmare. And right. the other part that why this is so helpful is because when to what the, the good things that are happening during your day, because you know you're going to be holding yourself accountable to think of those two things before you go to bed. Mm -hmm. So it helps you retain them and, and, uh, and just pay, pay more attention to them. <laughs> or because, look for them. <laughs> yes, or look for them, right. To look for them, see them, highlight them in your brain, and then recall them at night. That's interesting. Yeah, Hemingway used to say um, when he finished working for the day, he always wanted to finish somewhere where he knew he could pick it up the next day. So uh -huh. he, he'd finish with that, that, that idea that, okay. And so, you know, that, that concept, oh, you have a great idea. Well, sleep on it before you do anything about it. And that's, that's, I do that a lot. I know when I'm working on a project, I'll make a conscious effort to think about, you know, what's the problem I'm having with this uh, project and how am I going to figure it out? And then when I go to sleep, if I'm thinking about that somehow, uh, almost inevitably in the morning, I'll have an idea about how to, how to fix it. Oh, um, oh great. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, it's really, it's interesting to, to for gratitude, you're training your brain to think in a different way, and it's 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 interesting. So yes. how did how did you get into how did how did your practice find this route? I mean, because you it, you weren't always of, you weren't always in private practice. You've been in private practice for how long? Uh, eighteen years. Oh wow. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so well, and and the my fifteen years of my private practice, uh, one hundred percent of my work was forensic psychology and child abuse and neglect cases. So wow. I and I still do that kind of work. I'm uh, I'm an expert witness for the state of New Jersey. So that's a fancy way of just saying that I, I do psychological evaluations for families uh -huh. in practice. Okay. Usually, usually when a child has been removed from the home, my job is to see all family members uh, and do evaluations and make recommendations to the court right. about what the family needs to do to get stabilized and uh, for reunification. The goal okay. is always uh, reunification and uh, what keeps me going in that work is when the reunification happens, when families are made, able to make significant change and be healthy uh, and, and uh, you know, be functioning well for safety reasons. Right. Uh, so that was that 100%. <laughs> <laughs> so you're that character we see on Law and Order. Y yes, <laughs> yes, that's that's me. Um, and it it's um, high stress, very emotional, a yeah. um, lot of court testimony, 
Uh, I've heard over 4,000 stories of child abuse. Wow. And I just woke up one day and couldn't do it anymore. I still right. do it, but I couldn't do it 100% of my, my work. Right. So I thought hard, well, what, what else can I do? <laughs> and right. I came up with, with a couple different things. Um, I love speaking. So I thought rather than doing lectures uh, related to forensic psychology, I would start speaking about gratitude because mm -hmm. gratitude has been a significant part of my life journey starting pretty much starting from 1994 um before then i would consider myself an ungrateful person um i did not appreciate all of the great things going on in my life it took tragedy for me to find gratitude and that's that's that that leads me to my i was going to ask you about your book and the story in your book is uh um it's called i can see clearly now Yes, I can. Uh, yes, and it's 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 a it's. I hate to diminish it by saying it's a fascinating story, but it is a fascinating story. It's really it's incredibly engaging and 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 uh, and uh, heartbreaking, but uplifting too. It's it's this crazy story. So uh, I'll I'll let you kind of give us a little summary. Sure, <laughs> sure, sure. Yes. Yeah, so, so that's really where it started for me when um, I was in, I was three months engaged uh, to a wonderful man and it, um, he literally overnight woke up with a lump on the side of his neck hmm. and the diagnosis was grim. It was a very aggressive form of cancer and uh, the oncologist sat us down and told us that he had a 15% chance of survival. Wow. Now, I somehow my brain put that out. I only remember that um, because I wrote it down, but mm. I, I had no recollection of being told that during all of his treatment. Right. I think that was my brain's way of protecting me and being able to, to, to be there and present right. for him emotionally. Right. Um, so in the very last days when the doctors said that there was nothing left that they could do for him, I would sit by his side in the evening after all of the visitors would leave and I would enjoy a cup of hazelnut coffee. <laughs> and I found so much gratitude in that cup of hazelnut coffee when everything was going so wrong and there was so much unpredictability in my life. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if he would be able to open up his eyes and look at me that day. I didn't know if he'd be able to speak. I didn't know if he was going to die that day. Mm -hmm. Every day was so riddled with anxiety and unpredictability. But the one thing that was so predictable was that I could get that cup of hazelnut coffee. Right. And it brought me so much comfort. And I didn't realize it at the time that what I was doing was practicing gratitude. Uh, so when I thought long and hard about how I could change and, and, and really develop a practice in positive psychology, gratitude was in, instantly came to mind. Mm -hmm. So I started doing um, local workshops and uh, it even became my best-selling bracelet. I have a gratitude bracelet uh, and a friend helped me coin the term, the gratitude psychologist. Um, so <laughs> I really took that and ran with it because it, it really kind of uh, envelops everything that I do. That's fascinating. It's cause it's, and um, the, the jewelry is interesting to me too. I, I saw you doing the jewelry uh, because I follow you on Facebook, and um, uh, I, I didn't get it at first. I was like, "What is this gratitude bracelet? I don't. What is this all about?" And then, you know, I read the little story. I'm like, "Oh, wait! I kind of I I get it. It's a little, you know, and it's it's we need these sort of um, reminders and and rituals that we uh, 
recognize during our yes. daily lives to kind of bring us back to those, those things that are important to think about. Yes, and there are many different ways to practice gratitude. Um, so the ones that I mentioned before are more using our mind, but right. sometimes we need a tactile or visual reminder, such as a stone in the pocket, um, and the, the visual is the gratitude bracelet, where the idea is that when people are wearing it, uh, there's one singular metal bead, and then the rest are gemstones. Mm -hmm. And then when, when your eye is drawn to the singular metal bead, it's just a quick reminder to stop what you're doing and think about one thing that you're grateful for in that moment. Wow. And then you'll find, you know, through, you, you know maybe 10 times throughout the day, you pause and thought about something right. so that's just a you know so wonderful way to really build up your gratitude practice um without even realizing it by some wearing something um pretty on your wrist <laughs> it's terrific it's <laughs> terrific so i mean that's that's quite the journey from um uh you know sort of specialist in in child um you know, child abuse and abusive situations into a gratitude practice. But the way you tell the story, and, and there's more to the story too, You because you, you lost your dad about that same time, didn't you? Yeah, six weeks after my fiance passed away, my father died suddenly from a heart attack. So it was an extremely difficult time um, for both, for, for my mother and I, and we were living together. Um, so she was actually my age now, 52, right. when my father died. And, and wow. I was, so we were like two young widows living together. Oh. It was surreal. Um, but I'm grateful to say um, I've been married now 20, almost 22 years, and my mother has been married 20 years. So, oh, good for um, both of you. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so, you know, that part of my life mission is also to help people with hope and through, right. through my story and my, and my memoir to provide people with hope that, um, that despite tragedy and, and after tragedy, life can be good again. Yeah, it's really interesting because your story, I mean, it, just from the top level real quick here, if I, if I were to say in like three lines what your story was, this is the kind of thing that breaks people, you know? This is such an immense amount of tragedy in a short amount of time. Um, but, you know, you were able to find gratitude in the moment, uh, in, in the one case, and you kind of skipped over the most interesting part of, of your dad's story or, or your dad's, you know, the end of your dad's story here, I think, because he had the heart attack, but he had a heart attack on a ski lift, didn't he? Yes, he did. Yeah, and it's really was the thing yeah. he loved more than anything. Yes. So yes, in this weird, weird context, it's like, you know, yeah, you lost him, but you lost him in a way that was, he was doing the thing that brought him, you know, arguably the most joy oh, uh, yeah. in his life, you know? Right. And, and so amazing that um, for people who've read my book, you'll see the story where after my fiance died, you know, we did a tremendous amount of talking about grief in my household. Mm -hmm. um, I, I had moved back home to be with my parents. I couldn't bear to be in the apartment that I shared with my fiance. So I moved back home with my parents and, you know, with my father being a psychiatrist, he was, you know, already, uh, into talking about feelings and processing right. feelings. And that's just the kind of person that he was and my mother as well. So open discussions. Uh, and it was my first time dealing really with death uh, at 26 years old. Right. So we did a lot of talking about death. 
And one conversation I'll never forget, my father and I were sitting on the edge of my bed and he said, well, you know, if I have it my way, I'm going to die on a chairlift. <laughs> and I said, Dad, why a chairlift? Maybe skiing and you hit a tree, but at least you're skiing. Right. And he said, no, a chairlift. That's where I feel closest to God, breathing in the cool mountain air. Wow. And two weeks later, my father died on a chairlift. That's incredible. Incredible. That's utterly incredible. So incredible that he told me, you know, how often do we share those thoughts with people? Not very often. Right. So he, he told me and how often do we get to choose how the way we go in such a beautiful way? So way too soon, he was only 58 and, mm. uh, you know, he, he had gone, I think the grief for my fiance was just so overwhelming for him. He had, he had some heart condition, um, uh. and, uh, was, you know, heart disease. And I think that he truly died from a broken heart. Um, wow. You know, they, they say often that the, the, the emotional impact um, after death sometimes uh, for people with heart conditions can be um, difficult. So that's, uh, but, uh, but so beautiful that he was, that he told me that and that it was exactly the way that he wanted to go when his time came. Yeah. I mean, and that's got to bring a certain amount of, um, what peace to, to oh, you having yes. heard that and then having it happen that way i mean there's no uh, yes you know i mean it's it's i lost my dad about a year and a half ago and, and it's i still pick up the phone to try and call him oh yeah. so it's it, you know I, I i don't mean to diminish that at all but to have a have a situation where you know you have this this uh understanding of yeah well that's what he said he said he wanted to go that way and that's so at least right. at least we have that you know? Yes. Um, <clears throat> and, and I kept a journal at the time. I'm a, a big fan of journaling. So um, at first I thought, am I crazy? Did this really happen? And I mm -hmm. went back and looked at my journal to see, yes, it did. And there it is. Um, yeah. And it was also, so not just comforting for my family, but the entire um, ski community, especially the mountain where this happened, Okemo Mountain in Vermont, right. the, uh, you know, the ski patrol was traumatized. Yeah. Um, so they were comforted to hear this story and they were so kind to drive down my father's car from Vermont to New Jersey. Oh, wow. Uh, two ski patrol <laughs> came. Yes. So kind. Uh, it wasn't even a thought. How are we going to get his car? Right. Uh, not even, not even a thought. They knew uh, because my father, uh, he skied in an, when he wasn't in his crazy clown wig, <laughs> which he often <laughs> skied in, um, he just skied in an unusual kind of way that the only way I can describe it is that it exuded happiness. Oh, he, that's cool. you know, with his arms out, you could tell that he was listening to music. He, mm -hmm. um, he before um, the age of speakers and, you know, portable right. uh, devices, he, he would duct tape a Walkman to his body. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so he, That's really funny. And and you so he you know before um, Walkman you know before anything even existed he had his homemade version of um, a personal device. <laughs> right. So he he just exuded happiness. So uh, and we also knew by the timing if, if he passed away at about ten thirty, mm -hmm. and he was always known to try to get first chair when the lips right. open. So right. we knew at ten thirty that he must have got gotten some runs in because yeah. it would not be like him to arrive at the mountain and and not and get skis. out there yes yeah. right That's funny. and you're i mean and you're you're still a passionate skier and your kids are skiers and uh um, yeah is that is that a way of you uh sharing in a memory 
Um, well, in, in some way, because, well, yeah. I, I, I don't do it for that purpose, but that's an added benefit that I yeah. always yeah. Um, feel my father, especially because I still ski at the place where my father um, used to ski. Right. And uh, another really neat story is that, um, you know, my children are now 18, 16, and 14, mm -hmm. and I wanted them to learn early. So when my middle child, when she was three, Mm -hmm. I took her out. I took her out of preschool on a month on a Wednesday, right. um, because I knew during the week a group lesson would essentially turn into a private lesson because right. nobody's there, right. <laughs> especially the young children. They're in school, um, so I put her in a group lesson <clears throat> for three hours. Uh -huh. And as we entered the lodge at eight thirty in the morning. Um, there was nobody there. It was completely empty. And in her little three-year-old voice, she asks me, is that man your father? And I'm like, there, there's nobody there. And I just got goosebumps. And then it dawned on me, it was a Wednesday. My wow. father used to take every single Wednesday off and ski. Wow. And, and it was 8.30, right when he would be heading out the doors for first chair. <laughs> That's a great story. I like that. Another amazing story is that, uh, you know, after my father passed away, I, there was a, a wonderful wise woman in my life. She was, uh, her husband was my father's best friend mm -hmm. and her, um, her name is Shirley. And after my father passed away, I went and saw Shirley for some advice. And, uh, and she said uh, something about seeing an eagle, that when I saw an eagle, I would be comforted that it's often, that it's known in the um, Native American um, culture as the sign of the, of the spirit of a loved one nearby. Mm. And I had, I had never seen an eagle ever. Um, so I anxious, anxiously awaited for years and years and years for an eagle sighting. <laughs> And, and uh, it didn't happen for a long time. That was 1994. Right. And then my, my first eagle sighting was in 2012. Right. And it was on my birthday. Uh, we got about two feet of snow, which is really unusual for the Poconos. Right. But it was like a gift on my birthday. Uh, my, kids <laughs> were my kids were taking too long to get dressed. And my husband said, you just go ahead and um, I'll, he'll meet me at the mountain. And uh, as I got to the mountain, well, first of all, there was nobody on the road because there was so much snow. And so I had the whole place to myself and I'm riding my father's favorite chairlift. And I'll never, I, I knew it was his favorite chair because he was so excited that this part of the mountain opened up. It was a new area that right. hadn't always existed. <clears throat> and I'm riding that chairlift and I look up above me and there's an eagle soaring above my head. Wow. That that followed me for the whole chairlift ride on he's, my birthday. He's coming to say hello. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> to look after you. That's very that's a great story. Um so you have this this sort of amazing story of, you know, loss, but it's a story of healing and eventually gratitude that's given you a lot of direction in your in your practice. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um yes. and uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. We're we're going through kind of a uh, a rough go of it around the world these days with the coronavirus uh, situation, and uh, it's impacting uh, you know people's uh, daily lives, their psyches, their uh, their businesses, and how they operate. Um, how how is it affecting you? I want we we talked a little bit about this and before we got started about your business and, and some of the things you're doing uh, to try and get these these you know uh, messages and concepts that are important to you out to 
an audience who can um, who can use it um, sure. beyond just the one-on-one uh, patient interaction. Yes. Well, all of my life, people have asked me, you know, what do I do to be so happy? Uh, even as you mentioned before, read those tragedies that you know a lot of people may have fallen apart. Mm-hmm. And even a- even after my losses, I still got that question: What do you do to be so happy? Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know, what the heck do I do to give people this impression? And I thought long and hard, and it actually was my very first blog post on my website. When I developed a website, my my uh, website designer said, you know, you really need a blog. So okay. uh, I thought, well, what the heck can I write about? So I came up with about 29 different things that I do to help me be positive. Um, these are things that many that I learned in childhood, just things from trial and error. Uh, but I, I gave it a tremendous amount of thought. And now it's up to 36 different things. Mm-hmm. And that blog has become a book. So my book is finished. And now I'm just um, editing it and waiting. Um, hopefully it'll be out by the end of 2020. But it's so timely that uh, I'm I'm really going through every chapter now right. because my my whole purpose in writing this is to help people with things that they can do on on our very worst days, not things that we can do on a good day. But these are all things that work during crises on our our hard days, and so I'm really testing it out now, and uh, and I'm grateful to say that they're still working. Um, things like connecting with nature. Um, smiling, being goofy, being creative. So each chapter uh, is one I, one simple idea. With, and then my publisher challenged me to back everything up in research. So it's not just me saying this works. Yeah, I'm finding research to demonstrate that it isn't just me. This works for most people. And then I provide the related research. Right. So it's a, it's a, a very, um, so it started with my life and with some examples of how it works for me. And then I move into how it's worked for some of my clients, family, and friends. And then Mm -hmm. I back it up and then backed up by research. But the most important that I love about it is that each idea is so simple and does truly work on our worst days. The simple, simple ideas are the best ones, really. I mean, that's, that's in my business, even it's, it's the simple messages are always the ones that work the best. Yes. Um, Going back to the, back to basics. Right. Exactly. I say, you know, it's funny. It's a little thing. I say, uh, baseball imagery, um, home runs are, home runs are exciting and they get the fans up on their feet and everything, but it's base hits that win ball games. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, just, just keep doing the small things right. And you're going to be, you're going to be okay in the end. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, what do you think, um, I'm going to lean on your expertise now because people are, uh, going through all kinds of different feelings about, um, what's going on these days, everything from, um, anxiety and stress to, uh, uncertainty to, you know, some people who are, you know, sort of seemingly willfully believing things that are not true. Um, so what, what, do you, what do you think would be a couple of things people could, could take away uh, from a conversation with you on how to handle some of this stress sure. that's going on? Sure. Well, first of all, I think um, recognizing what's within our control and what's out of our control. Um, many people are having what if thoughts, and those what if thoughts are creating so much anxiety. 
some of them we can control and some we cannot, simply cannot. Right. So to, to work on, first of all, recognizing which category that thought belongs in mm-hmm. and then choosing to let go of the ones that we simply have no control over and then putting more energy into what you can control. So for example, right now, my private practice is closed. I cannot right. see my physical clients. I can let my brain wander and think all the what if horrible things about having to close that down. Right. But, in, but, but instead, I am focusing on what I can do. So I am building um, my online presence. Mm-hmm. And, and bringing my services online um, and and that's uh, that's a bigger picture but more simply I can choose what I'm healthy going to eat for lunch I can right. choose who I'm going to reach out to today who might need my support so um, letting go what you don't have control over because it truly serves no por- purpose other than creating anxiety <clears throat> and then second putting your energy to what you can control in very simple ways and in in bigger ways that's um, really a powerful idea is the idea of control and, and what you can and can't you know and and because if you can't control it um it's it's just sort of a waste of energy really exactly right it is a waste of energy and not only is it a waste of energy but it spirals Mm. and one negative thought leads to a bigger negative thought which leads to a catastrophic negative right right and it and and it's all um wasted energy so use that energy and and put it into what you can control and 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 that might mean um getting some help Um, I have let people know that I'm available for free during this time um, Mm -hmm. or what people can pay because this is just uh, one way that I can share my knowledge and expertise. Um, And uh, I have called upon my um, former business coach to help me um, be able to reach my goal of getting things online. Mm -hmm. Um, So reach out for help. I couldn't do that alone, but it's my goal. It's helping me gain control, but I knew I couldn't do it alone. So I've reached right. out to her. So you know, use your network, reach out to people who are available um, if you're struggling with something because we're, we're not in this alone. And I'm finding that the, the beauty of it is that we um, are realizing how connected we are and, right. uh, and calling upon each other for help. Well, that goes back to what you said before about us being, you know, we're social, we're, we're social creatures. Uh, and that's, you know, when, when we, you know, sort of hide away and stick our heads in the sand and don't talk to people about things and, and don't connect with people, that's, that's not healthy for us. Yes. Right. Yes. And I think the tricky part about what we're dealing with right now is um, the lack of hu- face-to-face human connection because right. we are, we are simply hardwired to need social interaction and mm-hmm. unfortunately um i social isolation and um, feelings of loneliness um, before all of this happened was already a, a worldwide problem right um people reporting more loneliness than ever in the history and um, and that affects our physical health and our overall well-being um, yeah. the, the the number one factor related to overall happiness in life satisfaction and longevity is the quality of our human relationships. So we can main, try to maintain that. Face to face is best. So if anybody's making contact, I'm recommending using FaceTime and Zoom so that we can actually see people. Right. 
Um, but the other part that's missing is physical touch. We, we need physical touch right. and, uh, and not being able to hug people is, is um, been difficult. So um, recognizing and having some self-compassion and understanding um, why people are, are you know, feeling um, the emotional part, uh, just feeling, you know, allow yourself some compassion um, right. to feel what you're going through because this is, this is a difficult time. Right, right, absolutely, and and that's you know, and the good the, the one thing about the uh, you know the physical contact element of of that is we know, you know, yeah, it's it's this is a, a virus situation, and and eventually this will clear up, and and we'll be able to go back to being uh, huggers again. Yes, yes. But uh, so there, you know, it's not like this is this has changed, and it will forever be such. Be it be so. Uh, you know, eventually this is going to end. So if we can kind of think about that, that might be helpful <laughs> yes, to, that, yes. to that end anyway. Right. Um, yes. I speak a lot about hope. That's actually a chapter in my book also. Oh, terrific. Um, because, you know, sometimes that's all we have left, a hope. Right. Um, you know, that's what, in addition to gratitude, hope has gotten me through the difficult parts of my life. Mm -hmm. So um, it's important to instill hope. It's important to read stories about hope um, that, that things, and to, to have hope that we, uh, we might have a new normal, but, but we will all, we will get through this. Um, right. And I, I just uh, was out for a walk yesterday. My neighbor has a beautiful sign at the end of his driveway. Um, this too shall pass. We will mm. all get through this together. That's, that's, that's a great thought. I mean, that's a really beautiful thought. Uh, and it's, it's true. I mean, that's, that's the other <laughs> positive part of it. It's, it's, it's right on the mark because it's, it's easy to, to get down in a, in, a, in a thinking pattern that's like, oh my God, I'm never going to get out of this. But, you know, right. the truth is it's, no, we'll, we'll, we'll get out of it one way or another. We'll get out of it and, and get on to the next thing. And uh, um, that sense of, of, uh, continuance is uh is helpful i think and i i think that it is also um stripping us down to what's truly important in our lives and helping uh -huh. us and and when um things that we may have taken for granted just really highlighting the um the importance of that and uh and gratitude for very simple things <clears throat> like being able to um just congregate and have a cup of coffee with good friends right. or and, and hug or for some get getting your nails done or being able to, <laughs> uh, you know, anything at all. Right. Um, all of the simple things in life and, and the important people um, re really people really noticing and remembering who is important in their lives. Right. Um, when at the beginning of 2020 uh, you know, it just really struck me that, I have a senior in high school and one of the things that I wished for and planned for 2020 was more time with her before she leaves for college. Right. Well, now, now I've got it. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, no kidding. And then some. <laughs> no question. No question. She's stuck with me in the house. Very good. Um, yes. Yeah, so. Well, Peggy, I, <laughs> oh, very good. Very good. Well, Peggy, I am, I am grateful. Uh, I was able to talk to you today. Uh, well, and that and that's a perfect example of something <laughs> wonderful that's coming out of this reconnecting with old friends. You know, absolutely. we haven't spoken or seen each other in years. I think I've known you since maybe kindergarten. Maybe kindergarten. <laughs> I mean, that's that's a long time. I'll yes. Tell you. <laughs>
and it's funny and and that's uh, you know the the positives and negatives of social media it's it's interesting how many of those types of people uh that you and i know for so long um you know are able to connect and kind of joke with each other now even if we haven't talked to each other in many years in some cases yes exactly so, um, it's, it's a, really it's a it's beautiful been, thing it's kind of cool yeah so uh yeah i am grateful i got to talk to you today and me too i've Kyle. enjoyed this conversation very much and i Same hope uh, i hope uh whoever ends up listening to this uh can take away some some uh some positivity and some some gratitude practice and some some ideas on how to help themselves and their their loved ones through what's going on right now uh so thanks a lot i appreciate it thank you for having me lyle my pleasure and that's it folks that's my friend peggy delong uh a terrific writer a terrific psychologist um and sort of a remarkable human being uh thanks for listening We'll have more episodes to help us all get some perspective on how to navigate this intensely weird time. Be careful out there. If you find yourself enjoying the StoryForge podcast, please give us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It helps others find the show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you do. All recording, editing, and executive producing tasks are handled by yours truly, Lyle Smith of NimbleSmith, the content marketing agency. This podcast would not be possible without the sincerely excellent help of our friend and associate producer, Anthony Sergi, who produces numerous podcasts, including the truly great A Guest in the House, about all things hip-hop. All original music was created by Monroe Poole of Pool of Tunes. And if you'd like to send us questions or feedback or suggestions for other subjects or guests, you can reach us through the StoryForge website. That's thestoryforge.com, all words separated by hyphens. You can also email us at cheers at nimblesmith.com. That's nimblesmith spelled N-Y-M-B-L-E-S-M-I-T-H dot com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>